Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. Well, most of us have some sort of experience of being nursed by nurses. I have in quite serious situations. I've been in the hospital for a little bit of time and treatment afterwards for cancer. I've had heart bypass surgery, looked after by, well, beautiful nurses. And we hear a lot about nurses. Um, They're under strain. They're under stress in our hospitals. Of course, there's the whole mandate thing. So we want to talk about nurses this morning. And who better to talk nurses uh, with than Deb Cunliffe, who is the founder of Nurses for Freedom and another group, which we'll talk about a bit later on. And Deb joins us to talk nursing because she's a nurse. Deb, welcome to Reality Check Radio. It's nice to have you. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. It's great to be here and it's great to talk about one of my favourite topics. So, yeah, exciting. Thank you. Thank you. And I think, you know, maybe we could talk about science versus anything else in nursing. You know, is it a uh, is it a science or what else could it be if it wasn't a science? A humanity thing that's not strictly science? I suspect it's a mix of both, is it? Yeah, over the last couple of years, I've had um, a lot of time to ponder on is nursing an art or a science? An art, yes, an, an art. art. Yes, an yeah. art. And um, I do now have some um, philosophies around this that um, I'd, I'd like to share with you and you, you, your listeners. Yeah. Because you're quite right, it is a mixture. And, um, yeah, my nursing career started nearly, for, well, almost 40 years ago now, Um in a seaside town in the UK called Blackpool. And mm. I'm sure most of your readers have heard of Blackpool Tower and the yes. ballroom or got a stick of Blackpool rock in a drawer somewhere rotting away. <laughs> or even maybe, um, you know, Blackpool Illuminations where people line up for hours in cars with diesel fumes and see these lights flashing on and off. That's where I started my career as a nurse. And um, I can, on reflecting on the art and science of nursing, I can remember leaving home on a, a weekend to go and start my nurse training on the Monday morning. Big party. Goodbye, Deborah. See you in three years at the end of your training. I was home within a week. Oh, really? Simply <laughs> okay. because I haven't had vegetables to eat for a week because we have to pay our own way. And uh, I needed I needed my carrots and my potatoes. So I went home and uh, they fed me up and I went back again. And I was probably home more often than I wasn't. But, you know, that nurse training, and obviously you, your listeners have probably clicked on that I was um, one of the old school hospital trained nurses. Nurse training has come a long way since those days, for good or for bad or a bit of both. I'm going to ask know, you about that, whether yeah. it's for good or bad, but carry on with, with what you're saying. Yeah. The um, story. The story. <laughs> Obviously, for me, my nurse, my time away as a student nurse at Blackpool Victoria Hospital really shaped my character. It was what made me, I think, in a lot of ways, what I am today and who I am today. Um, it, it was the thing that you, you learned so much about yourself, about human beings. It was the time when I, f- I first saw my first male naked body. Oh. It was the time when I, I know, so I do know there is a difference between male and female. I've worked that one out. Right. And it, it was the time when <laughs> I... Um, yeah. <laughs> it was the time when I first saw real suffering. It was the time when I um, first saw my, my first death. You know, so those kind of things shape who you become as a human being and they shape your 
understanding of life. So it was a really, really valuable three years, even though I was only young at the time, and even though it seems so far away now. And when I reflect on the, is nursing an art or is it a science? You know, we the thing that makes the nurses get up in the morning and go and care for their patients in the hospital or in the community, the thing that makes patients stand up, that nurses stand up for their patients in terms of informed consent and getting into their patient's frame of reference and doing the right thing by their patients and worrying about your patients overnight and going the extra mile. That isn't something that science brings into a nursing career. That's something that's an art that's innate in nurses. It's something that courses through our veins. You can take the nurse out of nursing, but you can never take nursing out of the nurse. So in some ways, you know, this, this dilemma is nursing an art or is it a science? It's very much... Um, integral to a, your character, to your worldview, to everything that represents truth and integrity. And that's, that's what happened to me during my first three years of nursing. And um, fast forward. Well, when I went on, before you fast forward, here's an obvious question. When did you feel you wanted to be a nurse? How, and I guess where I'm going is do you think it was kind of hardwired into you or was there some experience you had that that, that pointed you in that direction? What happened? Oh, I'd love to come up with a cracking answer for that one, Paul. Something ethereal and, you know, lights flashing, music sounding, but it really wasn't. I left school at 16 and um, I went to work in a health centre as a medical receptionist. So I took all the jibes that all the receptionists get, you know, how they're the... Uh, bulldogs and all the other things I had all that but it was while I was working as a receptionist in a doctor's surgery in um, in Blackburn and yeah which was about 30 miles away from where I eventually ended up um I saw the nurses I saw how they communicated with their patients I saw how they communicated with each other so a respect for life that I'm not saying wasn't present with the other professionals I was mixing with and the other people in my life and in my um, community but I saw something different that was really attractive and it was that that spurred me to go on and become a nurse and here I am 40 years later having achieved what I believe I wanted to achieve through my training through my further study and everything obviously you can tell I'm not originally from New Zealand although I am a New Zealand citizen and proud to be so and really believe that we're meant to be here for such a time as this but I spent the next 20 years following on from my training at Blackpool Victoria Hospital, doing various different jobs, culminating in a role um, in governance on a, 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 a National Health Service Trust Board and working as um, a Minister of Health recommended, recommended candidate for governance roles. So my journey in nursing took a slightly different um, pattern to many nurses who stay clinical on the wards. And I also became a tutor in um, a college, tertiary college. So I've got kind of a rounded experience in governance, a rounded experience in education. And I can still hand on heart say that nursing is one of those careers. And I'm not saying every nurse feels the same way because some people go into nursing purely for the money, some for just a job. But for most nurses, it's not something you would do unless you felt some kind of calling or vocation or some kind of empathy and compassion and understanding for your fellow humankind. Because, you know, who wants to get up and work nights? Who wants to get up early in the morning and go and put a mask on 
and I mean, I don't just mean a paper mask or an N95 mask. I'm talking about we've all got stuff going on in our lives, but you have to put that aside and to be able to put yourself completely um, there for your patients. It's actually really hard day after day. So nursing is draining. Nursing can be overwhelming because you're constantly sacrificing your own good for the greater good of your patient. And I'm not making out that nurses are some kind of spiritual heroes or saints, but that, it comes with the territory that we give up some of our own self for our patients. And that is a beautiful thing about nurses and about nursing, that we can do that because there's not many careers or callings that you can do that in, but we can. We can sacrifice part of ourselves, part of our own wants and needs for the greater good of other people. And that's what we, we are doing. And in some way that plays into the narrative now that's happening that lots of nurses have had to step back from working and we're not doing this just for ourselves it's not out of any sense of self-entitlement or importance or even a profession that we understand exactly what's going on but we're actually standing up on behalf of all our nurses on behalf of our patients and saying there's something not quite right about this narrative things have got lost things aren't as they seem the indications in science and literature aren't quite as straightforward and as clear and concise as it should be. And we're going to stand up, we're going to take this stand and this hit on behalf of all nurses and of all patients everywhere. And it's happening across the world. Nurses are feeling the same. And um, just, just to go back and just here's a, just a quick fact for your listeners, Paul, that I actually ended up going to train, as I said, at Blackpool Victoria Hospital, but I was born in Blackburn, which is about 30 miles away. And the interesting thing is about dialects in the UK is that even 30Ks driving away, my little mini with a little hole where the aerial mm -hmm. used to be, and people used to put rubbish down my hole in my where my aerial yeah. was, nasty people. But the, the interesting thing was even when I was at Blackpool Victoria Hospital, people knew I wasn't a local. I wouldn't you think this accent would get me anywhere in England, but seriously, 30, 30 miles difference, and the locals in Blackpool knew I was an import. That's, so that's goodness knows what they must be thinking about me in New Zealand. <laughs> uh, well, that, that means that people probably didn't travel very far from where they <laughs> where they grew up and lived. Otherwise, you know, it would have been something different. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can talk about um, um, that art part of nursing being really abused, actually, recently, maybe um, a bit later in the chat. Um, you, you've been doing it for, I think, four decades, you, you mentioned. That's about the same time I've been doing what I, I've been doing. And it's a long stretch. You see a lot of things, um, all the parameters of the, you know, the occupation or, or the career you've chosen will be presented to you in that time. And you mentioned a bit of that just before, you know, you saw your first death, you, this, that, you know, uh, you know, welcome, welcome to the industry, welcome to the job. Um, you know, without you know, revealing things that may be too awkward to talk about or whatever, but there must be some things that, that you really remember in that time, you know, some significant moments in that career. Um, you might not want to talk about them specifically, but what did they do to you as a person? Uh, did they change you? I don't think you can be involved in people's lives at the level that nurses are and not be changed. I will tell you a very funny story, and it happened on my very first ward, which was Ward 21 at Blackpool, Victoria. And um, as a student nurse, 
back in the day, we were not extranumerary. We were part of the nursing team and we ran the ward, we ran the shifts, we did nights and supervised. We really were in at the deep end and we learned a lot through that. We learned a lot about, like I said, ourselves, about management, about dealing with hierarchical structures, things that a lot of modern day nurses are actually sheltered from. We learned on the job the hard way and we were paid. So that's slightly different how things work these days. However, uh, on this particular ward, there was um, a cardiac arrest call put out. So somebody was having a heart attack on the ward. So my very first heart attack. And there's a set protocol of what you do and how you manage it and which team member does what, resuscitation effort and drugs and it pads on the chest and everything. So being a, a new student nurse, I hadn't got a clue what I was doing, but I wanted to look like I was kind of part of the team. So I decided I would move what was in the olden days known as a back trolley. Now, the back trolley was the trolley that had the, the, the towels on and the dish of water and the soap that used to go around and wash the patients that were bed bound. So I thought, I'll move the back trolley out of the way so the team, the anaesthetists and everybody coming running in will have direct access to the patient. And unfortunately, the back trolley was extremely full of water, soapy water. And as I moved it, the water spilt everywhere on the floor in the middle of the ward, in the middle of a crash call. And all the doctors who came running in, well, you can imagine what happened. Uh-oh. It all ended up on their bottoms, on uh, the floor, yeah. in the soapy water caused by the new student nurse. So I had a hard time living that one down. And even now when I see a back trolley, which then we don't use them anymore in hospitals, but even now when I see one or I hear about one, I always shudder. Because I think, oh my goodness, somebody's going to fall and I'm going to get the blame. And the patient survived, just in case your listeners are wondering, the patient did survive. So um, that's always something, you know, there are those stories of humour and fun, and um, but they're interlaced with stories of growth, of learning, of change of having to readapt to a new world you know if somebody from the 1980s was, was put on a ward now or in the workplace now or vice versa somebody from the 2023 was taken back into the 1980s it would be a completely different world and they'd really struggle to understand why we did things and how we did things and the understanding around principles and procedures and protocols because there's just been so much change a lot of it has been good you know nursing has grown medicine has grown things have improved our knowledge of disease and illness has, has changed our knowledge of each other and how the body works has changed so there has been a lot of um personal growth for me through that as well because when you're in the profession for so long you see how it was but you see how it is and you learn to adapt and to move with that change I can say from being a patient, as I described before, that one thing hasn't changed, that sense of vulnerability that the patient has when they are in a hospital, and particularly when they don't quite know what's wrong with them, but they know there is something, and, you know, the doctors gather and they have their little um, consultations next to your bed and you're trying to pick up what they're saying and get a sense of, of, is it good, is it bad? That vulnerability must always be in, well, particularly a nurse's thinking because they're the ones who have the most contact. And, you know, it's in the middle of the night. It's any time of the day or night. What's that experience like to deal with the other person's vulnerability? And, you know, we've got to remember everyone's different. Everyone has a different kind of personality, different way of seeing things. Speak to that, if you don't yeah, mind. Yeah, I mean, this... 
This leads itself back into that art versus science of nursing, because these kind of contexts, you can't train them into somebody. You know, again, I remember early on in my training, and, and it's not that I've been a bulky person forever, because I haven't, you know, it's only as I've got older and I've become more assertive and able to stand up for myself and my patients. But I remember early on, on a, a ward round with um, a number of consultants back in the day in white courts, and you never argued with the consultants. In fact, as a student, you would never talk to the consultants because they were guard and they had this hallowed um, status. But the, the consultant asked me to take a temperature of a patient. The patient was sipping on a hot cup of tea. So I just very kindly and very politely said, sir, he's drinking a cup of tea, the temperature's going to be raised. Well, that did not go down well, as you can imagine. But the issue is, and in response to your question, is that nurses early on advocate for their patients. We stand in that gap. And historically, and at this isn't um, a dig at medicine because it can be in any avenue of life, is that we people are increasingly reliant on experts to tell them what to do. And we just do as we're told. And we have done for, for decades. So we go to the doctor, tell us what's wrong, tell us what to take. And we just believe them. And I feel that in some ways has led into the narrative that we are currently seeing is that people have learned the art of asking questions. Nurses certainly are good at advocating and asking questions on behalf of other patients, but obviously not quite as good as they think about advocating and asking questions on behalf of themselves. Because if that was the case, more nurses would have stood up and said, I have questions about this vaccine, I have questions about safety, about the lack of data, about the redacted data. So it is something nurses are told in theory that they need to do is to stand in that gap and advocate and get inside people's frame of reference and help people to make decisions and inform consent. But I still believe there are huge gaps where this isn't happening and it's certainly not happening on a personal nurse-to-nurse level. Hmm. You mentioned you were trained on a hospital ward. And uh, I knew nurses back in the day who were, you know, same age as, as me as we we're going out into the workforce. A few from school went to nursing, da 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 da. And I know that they they trained the same way. And uh, there might have been a bit of polytech activity, but not much. Now it's completely completely different from what I can see. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, maybe this is the wrong word to to use. But it's it's kind of been captured by what, uh, tertiary-level institutions. Was that a good thing? Was that necessary? Or, or or is there a better learning environment like we used to do in, in broadcasting? They, they just used to make us do it, and you'd have the mentors around, and they'd tell you when it wasn't right, and they would show you how to do it, and pretty soon it got drummed in, and you understood, you know, the, the, the core principles. So... Has that change been ultimately a good one? I suppose it has its benefits and its downsides, like everything. Yeah, I think this is a question that is out for discussion across the whole of the world. And I think the the, the key response is, whichever was the right way to, to go, whether it was hospital-based training, polytechnic-based training, university-based training, we need to put the heart back into nursing. We need to get back to those core values, that art of nursing. And I mean Heart, A-R-T, and heart, H-E-R-T, yeah, mm. yeah, as well. We, we need to get back to those core principles that define us as human beings. 
in a relationship with other vulnerable people and in a relationship with people that are sick and dying and scared and frightened or just come in because they need a toenail removed and it doesn't matter but we need to get back to what makes nurses real nurses now obviously from my experience and the stories that I can tell and there's hundreds more and I won't bore you all but um you know I believe that the hands-on practical nursing was was just an amazing way to um, become a nurse, but I also understand that two wouldn't the, the twain will never meet. That what the nurses are doing now, the extended roles, the nurse practitioners, the fact that a nurse within a, a year of qualifying can be cannulating, can be doing extended tasks on the ward, things that they weren't appropriate back in the day. So, so it's a whole, it's almost all like a, a new profession because the science has crept in because nurses are um, being pushed to better themselves to do postgraduate qualifications. And, you know, you talk to a new graduate and in my day, it would be, which ward do you want to work on when you finish your training? And it was a case of, oh, well, I like the ward, so I can't make a decision. And as it happens, I got offered jobs on most of the wards I was on, which was beautiful, but I actually left Blackpool to go back to Blackburn to get married. However, these days, the, the, what most new graduates are telling us is, I want to be a nurse practitioner. So it's even higher um, seeking to be higher positions and, to, you know, to to further their career in a different way to what you average nurse did back in the day when I was qualified and newly trained. So it's a completely different generation. I do think there's good from both the hospital training and from the academic training that we're doing now. But I listened to an interview that you did with Ursula Edgkinton, Dr. Ursula Edgkinton, and I do know Ursula very well. And, um, you know, she talked about how academia has in some way soiled some of the courses and some of the outcomes that we are seeing and you know I, I'd, I'd love to have the, the discussion with our new graduates about what their understanding of informed consent is about what their understanding is about standing in the gap about their understanding of what the art of nursing is as opposed to the science of nursing because I think that the gap is getting a little bit it's, it's getting wider and we need to determine and define what it means to be a nurse in 2023 and where the issues really lie and what we can do about it as a, a, a country. Would it be fair to say that the art pass, part of nursing has had a sledgehammer taken to it? I've got to be careful what I say because in, in my personal experience, yes. However, I do know that there's a lot of nurses there that have retained the heart of nursing. There's some really good nurses out there. Well, they would have been challenged though, wouldn't they? Yes, they would have been challenged. And I think, you know, one of the things is, and I'll talk in a little bit about the Nurses for Freedom movement. Um, but in, in one of the things is we know is that in this the last two years since we heard about this virus that was come out of Wuhan and since I worked through the first lockdown in my role as a diabetes nurse specialist here in the Wairapa at Macedon Hospital and myself and my colleague who also hailed from Lancashire in the northwest of England like myself and um, we prepared we did as we were told we went over and above I worked day and night during the first lockdown from my home because I work with um, young children and adolescents with type 1 diabetes and a lot of the work is um, done on um, uh, in the cloud and by your algorithms and by online um, apps and things. So there wasn't really a need for me to see patients because a lot of it can be managed. I kept patients out of hospital because they were too frightened at the time of this virus to go into hospital. So 
we worked so hard at creating this safe space for our um our patients and you know i forgot what the question was you asked me well i'm saying what it was you know did, how challenging was basically what has happened in oh, yeah, the yeah. health service how challenging is it would it have been to those because you said people have remained that you know and hadn't lost that that side of it but you know it must have been so challenging that was the question yeah 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 very challenging you know for, for those of us that started off um unsure of what we were being told but still with our ears pricked up and wanting to try and make sense of it we worked really hard to make it work which was then a surprise when the health boards turned around and said to us you can't work you've got to leave you've got to have your vaccines or you're out but you know i I know the nurses that are in work get a, and didn't leave and they got the vaccine. They get a hard time from um, one side of the, you know, in the freedom community. But to be honest and truthful, Paul, I don't know that I could have made the decisions that some of them made to have to make that decision to get a vaccine that you didn't know a lot about, that you were hearing both sides of the story, that there was a possibility it could make you sick, but you had to take it because you needed to pay your mortgage, you needed to your children you needed to get you keep your family together I personally don't think I would have been strong enough to do it for my family for my mortgage so I think in some ways we I had the easier option of saying no I don't want it I can step away from my job my husband can step away from his job but for those nurses that hadn't got any option and people say no no they had a choice everybody had a choice it was never a choice and we know that so my heart goes out to all those nurses, especially those that have since been vaccine injured, that had to have the vaccine. And there is a had to part of this, no matter how we try to argue it. I think they're very strong. And I'm really hoping that this cohort of nurses will be the next ones that when the requirements for boosters come round or the next issue that is raised by the hierarchical systems that are telling us what to do on a seemingly daily basis. It'll be this cohort of nurses that have battled this once. There's a straw within their very spirits to work out what the answer is to the question that nobody's asking. They'll be the ones, I believe, that will stand up and be counted. And one of the mottos from Nurses for Freedom, our logo is a picture of geese flying in a pack or whatever they call geese that fly in the sky together. A um, gaggle. A gaggle of whatever. I think it's a gaggle, yeah. The story goes that as the geese are flying along, there's a leader, and then the leader gets tired and stands back and somebody else takes over. And that is what nurses can be, and that's what we should be in this country. We should all be going in the same direction, working together with strong leaders that know when it's time to step back and to let somebody else take over. So I am hopeful that the nurses that are currently working that are starting to see cracks in this chink and this narrative around the vaccine, around everything else that's happening, I'm hoping that they will step in and be counted. Yeah, so um, you mentioned the booster now that we're talking about this. So will, will that be mandatory mandatory as well as they come along? Is that is that what they do is it enforced well here's the thing <laughs> when okay. we were stood down in november and finally terminated 31st of december 21 it was because of our refusal to have the vaccine yeah 
And at that stage, official information requests told us there were 621 nurses that have been and midwives that have been stood down. Right. And that has since flip-flopped. And depending who you ask, depends on a different number. So there is no actual reliable data. But we know that if there were 621... They don't want a number. They don't want to have a number. No, no, no. Would they? They don't, right. because when we claim there are thousands and we legitimately can make those claims, because of the 621 nurses, we know that there's another 200 lead maternity carers, which are the midwives that work in the community and have contracts with the hospital. We know that there's carers in addition to the nurses. We know that there's the nurses that aren't in um, public health service, so the aged care, private hospitals, they are not captured in the data because there's no official information requests. So there were 600, well, 821 to start off with. So we're well over into the thousand. So those those nurses um, are the ones that, um, going forward, we really, really hope we'll stand behind what we're doing at Nurses for Freedom. Because there's no way a booster can be argued for. There isn't. It doesn't work. Um, I talked to Peter McCullough, one of the world experts on the show, and he said the latest bivalent doesn't even cover the new strains. It's it's still based back on the original Wuhan strain. So it's a pantomime. It's a show. It's a performative act. How could anyone buy into it anymore, particularly nurses? And this is where the science comes in, because nurses are now, the, the greater part of what we do is around science, it's around philosophies, it's around principles, it's around being clear, critical thinkers. So clearly some of that isn't happening. The science is also skewed, but that's the thing about academia, and even, you know, because my um, part is a, a tutor in um, tertiary education in the UK, we tell people how to think we tell them the boundaries the remits within which they can you know negotiate um their principles and their philosophies and that isn't true critical thinking to let them go and say come back with what you get but we don't we inadvertently have limited free thinking and clear thinking and in terms of, of the booster um at the moment i my job at the warapa dhb I was asked several times to take the job when I first moved down here in 2019. My job has been advertised for the last 18 months. It's a hard-to-fill vacant role. Still being advertised. There's very few clinical nurse specialists. Just they're geniuses, aren't they? Boy, aren't Especially they the geniuses. field of diabetes, type, type 1 diabetes. Oh, now, I've applied for my job three times. So they'd much rather deprive the community of that expertise and that role than give anything even give an inch? What it seems like. I've been told, I actually resigned from my job. I said my husband on faith-based grounds that we, um, for faith-based reasons, we didn't want to take the vaccine. We believed in Creator God and believed that his providence in our lives was going to see us through any vaccine. You're looking all right to me. <laughs> and um, pretty, pretty healthy. But so based on that and that alone, um, they've, BHB here responded to my questions why they wouldn't even interview me for my role. Um, and they told me that there was no exceptions for um, faith-based, nothing-based. That was yeah. it. I wasn't no, it means there. nothing. doesn't mean anything to them. It's swept under the carpet, bill of rights, human rights, the whole thing. Informed consent. How could any, um, any professional in medicine ever not, ever accept no informed consent? How could they possibly do it? 
because for the same reasons that consultants that I've tried to then play since at the beginning of all this narrative kicking off, you know, tried to share even just that seed of doubt that, you know, I don't know enough about what's happened. I'm not a, a boring academic. I'm a, a nurse. It's probably only really good for diabetes. But, you know, I know enough to know when something's not right. It's that gut instinct inside you that says, look into this more hold off till you've got the answers. And that is the, the approach myself and my husband have taken on this. Let's hold off until we find out a solution to some of the problems that seem to be out there. Clearly we haven't because there aren't any, because there is a big issue. But um, when I try to talk to the consultants, whether it's because they haven't got time or because they just accept the prevailing narrative from the Ministry of Health, because why would a government and a Ministry of Health, why would they mislead their members, their senior clinicians, the, the doctors can't possibly commute. Because they want it in your arm, baby. Because they want it in your arm, exactly. But the doctors are, are very trusting, they're very busy, haven't got time to sit down and troll through the myriads of research. And, and then obviously we know that in this country, the research that is appropriate has been limited and it's you, you've got to go searching for alternative thoughts and yeah but, but if i rocked up to the head of the dhp your dhp or any dhp if I, and said okay i'm i'm this sounds good i'm kind of into this but i need to achieve informed consent so here are a few simple questions that if you can answer these and i'm satisfied i'm in you know what they wouldn't be able to answer them and and we believe you mean nurses for freedom have asked these questions to to factor or so what the hell are they doing they, they, they just don't respond because they don't feel they have to respond. They don't put themselves in a position whereby they will come back to us. Um, it's a very, very sad situation. The, the reality is that Tifatu Aura, or Health New Zealand for your listeners, is the new health regulatory body that oversees what were all the old DHBs. And they, when the mandates were dropped in September last year, we thought, hey, we'll get back to work. But immediately, we know the mandates haven't been dropped. In all but the government mandates are dropped, in all but name only, because they've been kept going. Because the DHBs immediately said, we will be upholding the current status and we won't be letting the nurses back because it's based on health and safety. But we also know there is no health and safety. The liars. It, Clearly, it the line. <laughs> Come on, let's call it for what it is, man. <laughs> hey? but, but they have actually put out a consultation for a pre-employment vaccination policy. So currently, we have submitted, objective, call it what you want. We have put in information relating to this, and we await the outcome of this. So this is going to be quite pivotal in New Zealand. My thoughts are, I'm planning for the best, but hoping for the best, but planning for the worst, because I suspect in line with um, the World Health Authority organization that they will probably still insist that frontline workers have the vaccine and the boosters. So they probably will go along that line. I'd be glad if they don't, because our health service is in crisis. There's a 4,000 deficit of nurses. I'll tell We've you what, all... here's a prediction. Sorry to jump in. They'll um, fold. They will fold at I'm some hoping. point. No, they'll have to. Otherwise, it'll grind to a halt. Well, and it will grind to a halt. But the thing is, it should never have got to this stage. And the, we saw over the weekend, there was um, NZNO, so the New Zealand Nurses Association, were out doing protesting on their Rise Up campaign. And the issue is, the nursing unions like NZNO, College of Nurses, Aotearoa, Nurses Society, should never have allowed it to get to this stage. They should have done what other nursing and professional nurses associations did overseas and said, no, we stand together as a united um, 
cohort and we will not be um, expecting our nurses to get the vaccine. Are those unions politically affiliated in any known way? Well, there's a question for somebody greater than I, but the, the question would generally be, who do unions generally lean towards? And, well, and left-leaning governments. In and we have one, and the teachers' unions have been about as useless as you-know-what on a you-know-what. You they didn't um, stand up for their people. I know that because the teachers have told me that's mm -hmm. the case. Um, so uh, you wonder about the role of unions and are they in some situation where they have to pledge allegiance, not to the people who pay the subs, but to other people. And and that is is definitely a discussion for another day. But I do think that um, they didn't, when I look on NZNO, for example, they pledge solidarity, they pledge to work for all nurses, they pledge fairness and equity. Now, that hasn't happened. And I've got story after story of nurses who they say they've supported and they haven't supported. If they'd have supported us, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now, which is nurses of 40 and 50 years just walking off the job on the 14th of November Colleagues not even aware they were leaving. Same old, same pattern. Same, yeah, same yeah. old story. No, yeah, no, no farewell party, no cake, no yeah. presents, no acknowledgement of service. Now, the, the problem is we're going to lose a lot of these nurses and already nurses are heading off to Australia. And it's not just unvaccinated nurses. It's nurses that are overwhelmed by the current system because it is broken. Um, it well, let's say broken. it's nasty. It's nasty. Um, the, the the people at the top have proven that they're basically nasty people. And for whatever reason, cognitive dissonance and all of that, you know, all sorts of ways of explaining it. But in the end, the behaviour, and particularly the nurses and the art of nursing that we were talking about earlier, you know, the caring, that empathy. I don't like that word anymore, but, you know, there is no <laughs> other to replace it. You know, it's just been crapped on. It has. And so I, I don't blame some of the nurses that are leaving and going for Australia or even the nurses that are finding alternative ways of maintaining money, getting money coming in. And, and, you know, people are thinking outside the square now. But I think the situation that we're actually up to now is that, I mean, I am hopeful that Tipata Ora will see sense and let us back because the thousands of nurses and carers that want to go back, that want to support this failing health system. It's in our blood. It's coursing through our veins. We can do this. Let us help with the healing. And this has been our message to Margaret Appiah um, in Tipata Ora. Let us help. We're not here to create problems for you. Yeah, but they've got to admit that they were wrong before they can do well, that. Well, that's, that, that's, that's the other thing that keeps coming up. Hard to do. But I don't know. One of the things about nursing, and um, when I first came to New Zealand, I was very surprised because obviously I'm quite outspoken and, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I wasn't going to the teacher's um, court case because I'm one of these that can't keep quiet and I'd have something to say. So, <laughs> yeah, I, so yeah. I, I'm better, you know. But, the reality is that in New Zealand, we have this tall poppy syndrome where anybody that raises their head above the parapet, anybody that voices a different opinion or dares to speak out against, as I said, the prevailing narrative, will get shot at, whether they're right or wrong. And we've also got this professional pride that creeps in. And this is why I doubt that we will see an apology. It will be lovely. Don't get me yeah. wrong. And no, I don't think you'll get one, but they will fold. I'm telling you, they'll fold. I, I'm really glad to hear you're so hopeful because I, I, I really hope you do. 
Um, it's just like a case said, of win, right? It's just win. It is a case of win. And I don't think there's any winners in this poll. There's no winners. Nobody's going to win. In fact, all aren't winning. We're not winning. Everybody's lost something. All Each of your listeners have all lost something. We've all had to um, change the way we think and do and be and breathe. So, you know, the best that we can do now, and this is something that Notice for Freedom is quite um, focused on, is how can we make the best of what we've got right now? How can we improve? As, as I've done for my 40-year nursing career, what do I need to reassess? How can I become a better person? What can the real me look like in the next few weeks? So we, Nurses for Freedom has got um, a number of coordinators in all the main centres, and we've been doing this for nearly a year now. It's been in place a bit longer than a year but formally for a year and we you know we have coordinators that have done days of action we've got we've had a, a massive huey where about 19 nurses came and met together and started our healing journey but it's what can we do what are the action-based solutions to the problem we've got yes an apology will be good yes recompense would be good from a financial perspective because a lot of us have lost our houses yeah lost businesses, lost all kinds of things. But the bigger issue is what can we do to start the healing process? So we meet together, we have groups talking together. We've got different collectives of nurses, carers, um, reaching out to allied health, such as paramedics and people like that, just trying to bring people together so that we, when this new system or this new way of doing things eventually launches. And the sun out, comes out. When the sun comes up, we can we're ready to go. And Nurses for Freedom is um, our professional arm, which is the Nurses Professional Association of New Zealand, which I've been recently elected the president, is also looking at ways that we can address some of these professional nursing issues that are coming up and we can put the heart back into nursing because that is what the people actually need to see. They don't know it. They don't know. The, the, the intricacies of the pol politics around nursing itself. But that is where we need to get back to basic core nursing issues and, al and allowing all nurses everywhere without prejudice, the ability to go back in and care for their patients and fill the units that are standing empty at the moment and get the hospitals out of the various um, over-occupancy and, and really bring change, you know, address some of the issues that the leaders are facing, support the leaders. You know, one of the things from COVID is that we are now left with a population of people that don't trust their GPs, don't trust hospitals. But that also means we've got a cohort of people that are likely to end up having heart attacks and strokes, not necessarily because they had the vaccine or with any vaccine related. Yeah, because they've, they've delayed their treatment because of the yeah. trust. And, and they're not having the blood pressures checked. So quite a few of our nurses have started groups throughout the country. A parallel we, system. Uh, well, it's it's not so much a parallel system. I'd like to call it that. And, and wouldn't it be grand if we could? And we, you know, the dream would be. But in reality, we are encouraging people. If, if you need help with your doctor and if you're frightened to go back because you're frightened to be coerced or you're frightened that they'll shout at you if you're not having the vaccine, take one of our nurses with you. Let us stand in that Brilliant. advocate place. Brilliant. Fighting let us back. Check, let us check your blood pressure. Let us, you know, talk about some of the alternative medicines that are out there because clearly um, pharmaceutical um, businesses have, played a huge part in this pandemic. Yeah, and we can't. Now, the trust has gone there too. Yeah. If and it it's, was time, it's time to draw that back and to start looking at diet, exercise, some of the basic things that we, we've just gone from being 
um, uh, in the in the eighties when I started my nurse training, you know, being providing basic health advice and health education, health promotion to this. Give it a pill, give it an injection, let's treat it. There is a happy medium here, and we're not currently meeting it because we're so busy being the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff and kind of swap stop services from. Being well, that's swapped. that's where the business model is, Deb. That's where the money's made. Uh, uh, we gotta we gotta. Um, kind of wind it up i've got one question which has got nothing to do with pandemics or anything but i'm curious have males made a difference in nursing as nurses what do they bring oh do you know just like men and women created separately with different roles and responsibilities men in nursing are amazing i trained with three male nurses and i remembered them very very well and fondly until this day men in nursing we need more of and we need the kind of men like the women that will stand up and be counted and be those good role models so men have got a place in nursing absolutely unfortunately at the moment nursing well not unfortunately nursing is predominantly female profession and and at this stage it's human adult females Um, and you know (laughs) the Anybody can be a nurse, you know, as long as you have that good intention to heal and to come alongside and to bring the best of yourself into the situation. It's certainly I would recommend nursing as a career for, 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 for a lot of people. You're a great advocate for nursing, and I, I know you'd be a great nurse in the hospital. If I, you know, I'd be happy to have you as my nurse or one of them. <laughs> Um, thank you for spending time with us and, and, and talking about nursing and, you know, where it's at at the moment. Um, we've heard from, you know, pretty well all the main sectors now. There are those same patterns every time. I can, I can predict. I can predict now. Um, although I think we all knew it beforehand anyway. So Deb Cunliffe, the founder of Nurses for Freedom, and you mentioned also the Nurses Professional Association, which is a kind of a new addition to what, or or building on what you've been doing. Thanks for coming on Reality Check Radio. And they will fold. I'm telling you, just a matter of when, okay? Thank you, Paul. Thanks, but nice to talk to you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.